Our gospel lesson for today, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Very, very recently, just within the last few days, really, my wife and I have started into a new TV show. Now, as many people do now, we've gotten into the habit of finding older shows and binging them, as they say, just kind of watching through them in the evenings when we have time together. And this one's no exception. Now, this show is actually not very old. Uh, it's called Designated Survivor. It's recent enough that you might be quite familiar with it. We're enjoying it, even though we're only a handful of episodes into it. Now, the whole premise behind this show is a, a real situation that whenever there is some large-scale event in Washington, like, say, the State of the Union or the inauguration or something of that nature, something that brings in pretty much everyone from within the government to be a witness to it, there is one person who is the designated survivor who does not go. They are not in attendance. They are kept off-site so that if, heaven forbid, some catastrophe happens and everyone else dies, there is someone to assume command. That's the premise of the idea of the designated survivor, and that is the premise that we find in the first episode of this TV show. Now, the designated survivor is Kiefer Sutherland, who is a pretty well-known actor, and he's a low-level cabinet member who is kept apart during the State of the Union, and then a bomb goes off and pretty much everyone dies, and he assumes the presidency. Now, we're very early in, as I mentioned, and this show, from what we're seeing so far, is, is kind of a mystery. It's kind of a conspiracy-type situation within the government of who can we trust, who can't we trust, who's behind this, are they really behind this, what do we know, what don't we know, all of those types of things, and which is a type of show that my wife and I enjoy. But all of that being said, you know, we're not very far into it, but there's this one little plot point, kind of a semi-minor thing that happened over the course of these first couple of episodes that sort of did grab my attention. And it's, it happens in a power dynamic that occurs between the new president and an existing state governor. Now, the state governor is pushing back against the, the, the apparent authority of the new president. He, he thinks, you weren't elected, you, you were brought in illegitimately, I don't recognize your authority, so my state, we're kind of on our own, you just stay out of here. And of course, the president's kind of pushing back, and the governor's pushing back, and they're just going back and forth. They're basically in a schoolyard fight, trying to establish dominance, trying to say, who is really the more powerful one? Who has more authority? Who has, who's the stronger one here? Power dynamics. That's the point where I'm really kind of connecting and I'm trying to get back into our text for today, this idea of, of power dynamics. Now, 
if you're not new, if you're if you're an existing member of our community, you've probably heard me talk about this particular story before. If, if not, let me just say that I find this passage very troublesome. I don't like the way it comes across very much at face value. And even as we start to dig into it, I still find it troublesome. I find it troublesome because Jesus has this encounter with a woman. Here she's called a Canaanite woman. In other gospels, she's called a Syrophoenician woman. But the thing to recognize is that she is not Jewish. She is a foreign woman. And there's this oddball back and forth as she is looking for mercy, as she is looking for assistance, as she's looking for healing for her daughter who's possessed of a demon. And she comes to Jesus, and Jesus kind of ignores her. And then there's this weird back and forth where Jesus essentially kind of makes this statement that seems very derogatory towards her. And I find that so troubling. I've oftentimes had issues with that. But if there's one thing that I have learned in my time of of preaching and working with scripture and developing my own theology and Bible study and all of that, it's that it's the troublesome passages. They're usually the ones that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something. And so with that in mind, I tried to dig into this one again. And the idea that is so prevalent is that idea of power dynamics. Now, before we can really get into that, we need to think about what were the dynamics of the day. Now, there are many, many, many ways that the culture in which Jesus lived in first century Palestine was vastly different than what we experience today, although there are a lot of similarities as well. Specifically, In Israel or Palestine in the first century, a very patriarchal society, men definitely held way more power than women. Is that different today? Well, we're getting better, but we're not all the way there yet. So that's one aspect that's important. You may also be familiar that that honestly, the Jewish people, the Jewish culture really did not mix well with non-Jewish people who they called Gentiles. Regardless of what specific culture you came from, you were either Jewish or you weren't. That's at play here. The, the cultural dynamics are important. And, and like today, nationality was important, cultural identity was important, gender was important. I mean, basically name whatever line could be crossed and that was all important just like it is today. So that's one of those similarities that we have. But this was the reality. What's important for us to recognize here today is that the power dynamics, the powers at play, those, the, all those various aspects are not perhaps quite as, as on the nose as we tend to think of. We usually think of, well, okay, so Jesus was a guy. He was a Jewish rabbi. This woman's a foreigner. She's a foreigner. She's a woman. She's got all those things against her. Uh, she's looking for help, and he kind of looks down on her. Face value, that's kind of what's going on. But if we look back at the, the, the opening portion, the opening statement, we hear that Jesus leaves the region he's in and he goes to Tyre and Sidon. Now, geography is important here. Tyre and Sidon are two cities. They're both on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and they're farther north than what we would consider to be Israel. They're in part of, of the kingdom of Syria at that time. Uh, but they're, uh, because it's a part of, of the Roman Empire, because it's outside of Palestine directly, uh, because of all of this different thing. It's a very mixed bag of cultures, but it's not a Jewish place. This place where Jesus is at, he's actually the foreigner. We hear that the woman is from there, whether she's a Canaanite or a Syrophoenician, doesn't really matter, that she is from this area. So Jesus has come onto her turf. He's the foreigner, she's the native. She's the one who is supposed to be there. And whether we look at the dynamics of of gender or not, she's the local. And yet she needs help. 
Her, her daughter is possessed of a demon. We don't know exactly what that means. We don't know how that's manifested, but it's got her so worked up. I can only imagine that this woman in full mama bear mode has been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to get mercy for her daughter, to get help for her daughter, and nothing has worked. And so she sees this foreign guy coming in, this guy who really has no business being there whatsoever, and that's the one that she looks to for mercy. Now, there's a lot at play here. There's a lot of aspects going on, but the power dynamics are perhaps not quite as cut and dry as we might think. Jesus is the one who's in foreign territory. He's the immigrant here. He's the one who perhaps has no business being where he is, and yet he's there anyway. And this woman, she comes to him. Now, clearly she recognizes something about Jesus, something that's different about him, because she, in her initial address to them, says these different things. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Now, she calls him Lord, which could be the same as just, hey, sir, can you have mercy on me? But she's asking for mercy from this guy, and she also recognizes son of David. Whether or not she's familiar with the Jewish culture at all, clearly she recognizes that not only does he have this messianic thing as the Christ, this, but he's a descendant of King David. So even though David had lived like a thousand years before that, his royal line was still important. So all of this, she is recognizing not only the dignity of this foreign guy, but she's also recognizing the, the status that he brings, what he brings to the table. And of course, this being Jesus, he brings more than just the typical person would bring. He is God. He brings the divine. He brings the kingdom of heaven with him and the manifestation in many different ways, which includes power to heal, power over demons. And above all, she's asking for mercy. That's the big thing. And the interesting thing about all this is even more so, not only mercy for herself, but she's looking for mercy for someone else. She comes to Jesus, not for something on her own behalf, but on behalf of someone else. Now, all of this, as we think about that, is perhaps fitting into this ongoing theme that we continue to bump into of the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message that Jesus is constantly, constantly talking about. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what's that look like? It looks like mercy, and it looks like caring for others, and it looks like loving God and turning back to God. All of these things, they all tie in, but we love God and we love our neighbor. And she seems to be embodying that and looking to the one who can do something about it. But what's troublesome about this? is the way that it all goes down. First, she says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. And Jesus doesn't say a word. There's no answer. She cries out for help to God. And the answer, it seems non-existent. She keeps crying out. She's persistent. She keeps asking. And apparently that's starting to aggravate the disciples who are also around. They're like, hey, Jesus, tell her to bug off. She's not doing anything. And then Jesus kind of seems to answer them with some of this oddball thing. Like, I only came for the lost, uh, lost children of Israel, which seems to speak into a bit of a cultural bias. Though I find myself wondering, is he speaking into the disciples' cultural bias who just want to put this woman on mute and, and send her packing? Is that what's going on there? I don't know. But she keeps asking. And he makes this statement about the lost children of Israel. And then she asks again, Lord, help me. And he says this oddball thing. It's not good to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, is he calling her a dog? Is he being derogatory towards the woman? I don't know. I really don't know. But I find myself wondering, maybe, just maybe, is Jesus making this statement 
Is he almost winking at the woman because he's speaking at the expense of the biases, the cultural biases that are being expressed by the disciples? And maybe she's in on it. Maybe she gets the joke. Maybe she's winking right back at him when she says, well, yeah, but you know, even the dogs eat the scraps or the crumbs that come from beneath the table. And with that back and forth, this crazy back and forth, whatever the heck is going on, Jesus says, great is your faith. Let it be done as you have wished. And then the narrator tells us that the woman's daughter was healed in that moment. There's this crazy back and forth. And I find myself wondering, what do we make of it? If we can get past this crazy, weird, oddball statement of Jesus that at first is so troublesome because the living embodiment of the love of God for all of humanity seems to call a woman a dog at face value. If we can get past that, do we start to see that maybe, just maybe, there are things that we can learn? Is Jesus flaring in the face of the biases that are being expressed by his closest followers? Is he speaking into the cultural dynamics of the day? Is Jesus showing his humanity in just a second here, and he's showing some bias that maybe he had to get over? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going on here, but I find myself really living in the tension of the silence that Jesus offers as the woman asks for help. All those cultural, all those power dynamics aside, because they are real, And I think that they are at play in what we see at face value here. All of those aside, the woman asks God for help. She cries out. She might as well be praying, Lord, help me and help the one that I care about. And the immediate answer is dead silence. And then when an answer does come, it doesn't seem to be the answer that she probably is looking for. But she's persistent. She keeps asking. And as we find, as we see, as we hear, her persistent faith is ultimately rewarded. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that in reality that we find ourselves right now? Folks, I don't know about you. Here we go, broken record again. But as this pandemic keeps going on, I'm praying. Maybe you are too. I hope you are. I'm praying for a solution. I'm praying for a cure. I'm praying for a vaccine. I'm praying for normalcy. I'm praying for safety. I'm praying for health. I'm praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And it really seems like the answer is quiet. And so I wonder if we are finding ourselves, if you're in the same boat as I am, and I think many of you are, because I've had that conversation with many of you, maybe that's where we're finding ourselves right now. We're in the midst of that quiet, apparent lack of an answer. So how do we remain persistent? How do we remain strong? How do we hold on to the faith in that which we believe to be true? The woman believed that this man, this embodiment of that which is divine, had the power to do something for her daughter. What do we hold on to? What are we believing in right now in troublesome times? In troublesome times when we're not getting the answer that perhaps we're looking for. In times when we're seeing these same cultural dynamics, these same power dynamics so at play in every single aspect of our lives, in every single aspect of our society, all of this. Folks, I got to back up just a little bit. I've been thinking a lot about about the start of this whole thing. Now, for us, it was mid-March, five months ago, almost to the day. 
And I remember when things were just starting to ramp up here in our little corner of Iowa, we thought oh, this is going to be 10 days or two weeks of inconvenience. And the worst thing we're going to have to worry about is running out of toilet paper. Five months later, we're no closer to a solution, are we? And that's frustrating. That's hard. And we're looking for people to blame. Or we're looking for reasons of, of, of who is at fault. Or why isn't this working? Or why is this working? Or why do you think that? Or why do you believe this? Or are you right? Am I right? Are we wrong? Who's right? Who's wrong? All of that. And it's maddening. And throughout all of this, we're kind of asking the question, where are you on this, God? Are you going to act? Are you going to do something? Lord, have mercy. Maybe in the end, that's the big question is what does mercy look like for us now these days? Does mercy look like arguing with our neighbors on Facebook? Does mercy look like casting shade at someone because they're wearing a mask and we don't think it's necessary? Does mercy look like ignoring everyone else as long as I'm okay? And folks, that's something that's really grabbing my attention these days. Because I see at certain times, moments when someone is living the embodiment that the kingdom of heaven has come near when they're looking out for someone else. But on the flip side, I'm also seeing and experiencing and to be perfectly honest, living the reality that sometimes it's me first. As long as I'm okay, everybody else is on their own. How's that working for us? Honestly, how's that working for us? As I look around and I look at different countries who flared up way faster than we did, who now five months later uh, seem to have gotten a handle on this thing and they're kind of getting back to some semblance of normalcy, I think, hmm, maybe they know something we don't. And maybe we need to look to the ones who can give us something, who can teach us something. And that's what the woman did in our story today. Remember, she was, she was the one who was from that area. Jesus was the foreigner but she had to go across that cultural boundary. She had to go aside whatever biases she might have to look to one who might have something to offer to the situation. And ultimately, she receives mercy. Ultimately, her faith is rewarded. And we can make of that whatever we want to, but the fact of the matter is that she went past power dynamics in whatever way they showed up, looking to the one who was able to do something about it. As I continue to think about this ongoing pandemic, and I feel powerless about it, and I ask God, God, where are you on this one? Help. We're living in the tension of not getting much of an answer. Or perhaps we're starting to live in the tension of getting an answer that maybe is the one that we hadn't hoped for. And the answer that we're getting is troublesome. And the answer we're getting doesn't sit well with us. But ultimately, will mercy come? Will we continue to be faithful in the promises of the one who has told all of us, not just me, not just you, but all of humanity, all of humanity who share in God's wonderful delight, who all share the claim, children of God, maybe the answer that we will ultimately get is continue to care for those around you. Continue to seek mercy, not just for yourself, but mercy for the one who is powerless to speak up for themselves. Maybe that's what we take from this. Maybe we have to remain in the tension of this being troublesome. Maybe we need to remain in the tension that we find that all this is troublesome. And maybe we're going to have to be okay with that for just a moment. And yet, can we continue to be persistent 
in our faith in the promises of the one who has told us, I will never abandon you, and that not even death can overcome my promise for you. May we hold on to that. Amen.